Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. This weekend, we invite you to respond in Convoy of Hope's efforts in the Ukraine, yes, but, but also with Serve 6.8 and Convoy's global reach. When those needs hit, we want to be there. We want to support the organizations that are there. We have the friends that are a part of these things. And so we invite you to consider that this weekend. There are many different ways that you can give. If it's above and beyond your regular giving, make sure that you designate that in your gift. You can give in person or text giving all month. We'll have an option on a drop-down option. Um, we say one day to feed the world. Where that comes from, the one day idea is that we invite people to calculate what is one day's worth of your annual salary. Would you consider contributing that to these needs and these opportunities? And then, of course, you could give online as well. But with all that, what can be so difficult, we can hear the headlines and, and we even have, you know, Eli up here and, and hospitality and a call to extend hospitality and welcome to people. And you have Convoy of Hope and Serve 6.8 and all these needs that are going on. And I got to be honest, the issue in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine really only got and piqued my interest beyond what I'd call headline awareness when I talk to people that are directly involved. Because then all of a sudden, it's not just headlines. These are lives. These are people involved. And I know that every issue, every crisis cannot get to that level of, of bringing it to the level of people for us. Because we're limited. There's only so many people we can know and so many issues we can be aware of. But it does get to that level with God. God sees every hungry person, every person struggling in a war-torn area, and God uses the people of his church to meet those needs in diverse ways. Okay, you and I know different people. We have different passions and different opportunities to connect with issues, and we want to bring, this weekend we're talking about how we want to bring that diversity and respond to issues where God is inviting us into unique spaces alongside people. I wonder if this weekend we can have a weekend where, where we allow ourselves to focus on some real basic things. Because if you're new to faith or new to this church, this will be a wonderful kind of foundational setting of, of a summary of sorts of what our heart is for people. And if you're a seasoned believer, I can guarantee you, like myself, that there's some of these basic things that we need to do what we've done throughout this sermon series on God's nature. See them again for the first time. The last few months, we've been looking at aspects of God's nature and aspects of his creation and how they show us what God is like. And this weekend, we're focusing and concluding uh, this sermon series with the big one, humanity. Let's read Genesis 1, 26 through 27. It'll be on the screens if you don't have Bibles or Bible apps. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If you take a look at my office or my sermon or, or our house, looking at the elements of what someone has developed can teach you a lot about the nature of that person. Specifically, looking at the elements of creation throughout this series, we've learned some intimate things about what God is like and how he operates. The fingerprints that he's left on creation. But make no mistake, we're not just ending this sermon series this weekend. We're ending it with the big one. Because nothing else in all of creation, the birds, the fields, fire, water, nothing else in all of creation is as special and dear to God as humanity. Now you don't need to look farther than John 3.16 to see that. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him is saved. The connection there between that term, the world, and whoever shows us that, that it's the vast expanse of humanity that God died for. God did not give his only son for us as a sacrifice for the birds or the fields. It was for humanity that God so loved, that whoever of them, I know I'm butchering the English language here, but but not just the Israelites, not just his chosen people, but, but the vast expanse of humanity, the whoever of humanity would believe in him would be saved by his great act of love. It is a wide reach, God's love for people, unparalleled in the rest of creation. And even as you can tell a lot about a person by what they have created, no other part of creation, water, fire, wind, cosmos, is said to be made in the image of God or in our image, as he said, and we'll talk about it again in just a bit. See, God saved the best for last in the process, in the order of creation. He rolled up his sleeves, not that God has sleeves, it's metaphoric there. And by creating mankind in his image, he gave or endowed mankind with unique dominion, was the word there, unparalleled authority that mankind holds among the rest of creation. Unparalleled because mankind uniquely, far at a greater level more than anything else in all of creation, mankind is supposed to represent God in a way that no other part of creation can. We've got things that are unparalleled with the rest of creation like reason and morality and language and relational foundations of love and commitment and creativity in forms of art. And there are very primitive ways that you can kind of force the issue by applying that to different simplistic creatures, but, but none of it reaches the level and the depth of humanity. Now, with such dominion, and prominence over creation. We might begin to feel pretty, think pretty highly of ourselves. Like take that bald eagles, and fields of grain, and cosmic cliffs as we just saw for the first time from the James Webb telescope. And you know what? 
we'd be right. I'm not just setting that up to knock it down. We, humanity, are uniquely and specially made to represent God. We have a value that is beyond the rest of creation. Look at John 3.16. If the determiner of the value of something is what someone is willing to pay for it, look what God gave for us, his only son. You were bought with a high price. Scripture says elsewhere, purchased, valued, saved and redeemed, the cost for our forgiveness paid by the only God rich enough to pay it by giving his own son. That's how valuable we are. So yes, throughout this series, we've been saying, walk the fields, see the fields again for the first time, see fire and water and the cosmos and the vastness of that again for the first time. Do all of that. And as you are, you need to know the special value that you hold. Someone here needs to know today that you are immensely valuable to the God of the universe. Someone here needs to hear that no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you have tremendous value. Maybe, maybe you're stirred to kind of utter a prayer in your soul, accepting that cost paid for you and that you are valuable to God. Right as you are. Don't miss the opportunity to accept that right now. But with any great value, with any great authority and great representation or influence comes big time risk. What's the risk? I want to tell you a story about an ape named Shift. If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia story, that name may sound familiar. It's a fictional series of seven books written by C.S. Lewis. And it's this fictional, uh, not trilogy, series of seven books that, that gets to the point that here we are in the last battle, the last book of the series... And Aslan, who is kind of the Christ figure in this fictional series, Aslan the lion has appeared throughout all these different points of Narnian history at times where the people were most desperate and he showed up and he helped them. But at this point where we're at in the story at the last battle, it's been way too long and Aslan has, has kind of faded into the, the past and the history. But he's still used and recalled kind of as a figure of influence or even manipulation. Turns out C.S. Lewis knew what he was doing when he wanted to allow a fictional world kind of resemble ours. So this ape named Shift decides that he and his friend, he's a donkey, his name's Puzzle, they find this lion skin in, floating in this river. And the ape decides, we can dress you up in this lion skin and make people think that you're Aslan. And then we get to represent and make things right and do what we think Aslan would do. This is the representation connection. What happens when representation goes wrong? Well, first, the ape dressing up the donkey says this. You look wonderful as he put the lion skin on him. Wonderful, said the ape. If anyone saw you now, they'd think you were the Aslan, the great lion himself. That would be dreadful, said Puzzle. No, it wouldn't, said Shift. Everyone would do whatever you told them. But I don't want to tell them anything. 
But you think of the good we could do, said Shift. You'd have me to advise you, you know. I'd think of sensible orders for you to give, and everyone would have to obey us, even the king of Narnia himself, and we would set everything right in Narnia. A little bit later, telling the, the people or the creatures what Aslan would want. He's talking to a group of squirrels. Now attend to me. I want, I mean, Aslan wants some more nuts. These you've brought aren't anything like enough. You must bring some more, do you hear? Twice as many. And they've got to be here by sunset tomorrow. And there mustn't be any bad ones or any small ones among them. A murmur of dismay ran through the other squirrels, and the head squirrel plucked up the courage to say, please, would Aslan himself speak to us about it? If we might be allowed to see him, well, you won't, interrupted the ape. He may be very kind, though it's a lot more than most of you deserve, and come out for a few minutes tonight. Then you can all have a look at him, but he will not have you all crowding around him and pestering him with questions. Anything you want to say to him will be passed on through me, if I think it's worth bothering him about. In the meantime, all you squirrels had better go see about the nuts and make sure they are here by tomorrow evening, or my word, you'll catch it. The poor squirrels all scampered away as if a dog were after them. This new order was terrible news for them. The nuts they had carefully hoarded for the winter had nearly all been eaten by now, and the few that were left they had already given to the ape, far more than they could spare. Then a deep voice, it belonged to a great tusked and shaggy boar, spoke up from another part of the crowd. But why can't we see Aslan and talk to him? When he used to appear in Narnia in the old days, everyone could talk to him face to face. Don't you believe it, said the ape. And even if it was true, times have changed. Aslan says he's been far too soft with you before, do you see? Well, he isn't going to be soft anymore. He's going to lick you into shape this time. He'll teach you to think he's a tame lion. And then one more opportunity a little bit later in the story where, where it kind of, this, this false representation starts to muddle with a different people group, kind of an enemy people group of the Narnians called the Kalormans. Please, said the lamb, I can't understand. What have we to do with the Kalormans? We belong to Aslan. They belong to Tash. They have a god they call Tash. They say he has four arms and the head of a vulture. They kill men on his altar. I don't believe there's any such person as Tash, but if there was, how could Aslan be friends with him? All the animals cocked their heads sideways, and all their bright eyes flashed toward the ape. They knew it was the best question anyone had asked yet. The ape jumped up and spat at the lamb. Baby, he hissed, silly little bleeder, go home to your mother and drink milk. What do you understand of such things? But the others, listen, Tash is only another name for Aslan. All that old idea of us being right and the Kalormans being wrong is silly. We know better now. The Kalormans use different words, but we all mean the same thing. Tash and Aslan are only two different names for you-know-who. That's why there can never be any quarrel between them. Get that into your heads, you stupid brutes. Tash is Aslan. Aslan is Tash. Now, now think of throughout our history of all the King Herods and the KKKs and the prosperity gospels 
times where people have said, God is like or God wants, and it goes horribly wrong. Humanity was created in the image of God so that we can uniquely represent and reflect him. And even as highly valued and highly positioned as we are, it way too often falls woefully short. And I am not here to tell you that I've got the corner on this. I'm not here to tell you that all other representatives have got it wrong and I've got it right. I am not the Christ. My job and our job is to point to the one that is. The one that we're going to touch on this a little bit later, Hebrews 1.3 says, He, the Son of God, Jesus, is the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus is the exact, precise representation of God. Where we have fallen woefully short, we look to Jesus and we know exactly what God is like. So this summer, we've been looking at different aspects of creation, the cosmos, the fields, and the water, and even the birds, and nothing exactly, completely, flawlessly represents God's nature like the person of Jesus, God in humanity. So we strive and are created to look more and more like Jesus. That's why God uses even the refining process of fires of affliction in our life to kind of strip away things we wouldn't naturally or even willingly let go of so that we can become less and less like the flawed parts of us and more and more like Jesus, including in his suffering. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Okay, what that means is as we look to Jesus, as we look at Jesus unveiled because we get to see him for who he is in the Gospels and in how the New Testament reveals himself to us and his will for us, we get to see God clearly and we become more and more like him. I want to look again at that passage back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female he created them. So that unique representation that we bear in front of all of creation is a relational one. It's a relational nature. The nature of community starts with God. Let us make mankind in our image. The one and only God has never been alone. 
eternally existing within a relationship of the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know it can be confusing and and disorienting to try to figure out how that works, that three persons share a singular being. It's honestly something we will explore and step into more and more throughout our entire lives, maybe throughout all of eternity. Because nothing else in all of creation and eternity is exactly like our God. But we can know something about him. And he wants us to know something about him. And one of those things is that God is relational at his very being. God is love at his very being. And it's common, it's kind of widespread grace that God gives that blessing of relationships to mankind across the board, okay? Believers are not the only people that have relationships in our life, right? Everybody, every human that's ever been born has some context or some heritage or some orientation based on relationships. I'm not saying those relationships can't be abandoned or unhealthy, but every person that you and I have ever met, every person that is in this room or listening to me right now or out in our community and not yet in this room. Every person has some kind of an orientation based on relationships. So with that common kind of vast natural experience that we all have, isn't this gift something that can be taken for granted? The intention that God gives everybody, it's a wonderful blessing. People that care about one another and shape one another's lives. But if, that's, if everyone's got it, and it's this, what I'd call blanket grace or blanket blessing, what's so special or essential about Christian friendships? One of the tricks about God expensing common grace or blanket grace across believers and unbelievers alike is that I know many people maybe even many of you, that might allow the heart and the intention behind that vast blessing to be taken for granted or downplayed. Well, the church tells us that we all need relationships, and I've got friends. I've got people in my life that care about me and develop me. I don't need Christian friends. It's a tremendous gift from God that all people, believers and unbelievers alike, have other people in our lives to care about us and shape us. But here's the thing. Even though you and I may have friends and joy and laughter and a lot of good things that come from those relationships, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're shaping us more and more like the purpose of our lives. In some ways... That can be a distraction. The people that influence us and mold us and shape us can actually take us away from our original purpose. And we start to represent something or someone else, kind of like the ape shifted. Off base, not an accurate representation of who we're really intended to be and represent. Hear me clearly. Please don't take this out of context. Should every Christian have friends that are unbelievers? Absolutely. We aren't a closed-off clique or a members-only community. As we're going to talk about a bit later, we're supposed to have God's eyes and God's heart for all people. All people. So in terms of the relationships that we're supposed to have as believers in my life... 
our lives. They need to be with people that are going to become more and more like Christ themselves so they can encourage us and inspire us and hold us accountable to are we fulfilling that purpose of representing God and becoming more and more like him. Those are the relationships that we're going to need. So that leads me to this outline point. People become more and more like Jesus together. There isn't a weekend at this Timberline campus that you're not going to hear the plan and the invitation. The plan and the invitation is this. We want everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church their home to be a part of Connections. Everyone. Gathering together on weekends like this with people we may or may not know and serving and worshiping together, this is a critical part of our faith. And so are connections, the garden of relationships where we are known and cared about. I hear it all the time that people say, I've been visiting this church for months. Great, I love that. And that means each and every weekend you hear that our intention is that we want every person that calls this church home to be a part of relationships. That's how you get to be known at a local church. There are so many opportunities you heard Jan talk about earlier, ways that we just connect people with others. In fact, so much so that I'm gonna tell you the truth about the life of a person that makes this church, this campus their home or calls this their church home. Somewhere over the course of the time that you are a part of this church, you are going to find that one without the other, weekends without connections or connections without weekends, just isn't doing it for me. You're going to come across the phrase, you know, I used to go to Timberline, but, but it's just not meeting my needs. And you know what? We agree. You're right. Weekends without connections or connections without weekends is not gonna engage the life of faith on a big scale together in worship and service together and in relationship that God intends for you. We need each parts of that in our lives. That's how we represent the life and the representation of God. That's our plan. That's our intention. And then together... Next point, we represent Jesus to the world. That is a big role and responsibility that I really, really hope we don't take lightly when we leave here, and especially when we get on social media. You and I together represent God to one another and the world around us. If we are operating like we should, reflecting the image of God like we should, then there are many diverse ways that we live this out. And that's a beautiful thing that you're engaged in some things that I'm not, and I see things in ways that you don't, and we're kind of together, this beautifully diverse family that's rooted in Christ and represents who he is to the world. My brother was out here a couple of weeks back. He's a pastor in LA, and, and we were reflecting on some of the work that Convoy of Hope is specifically doing across the world. And, and he just had one of those moments of, man, this is what the church and partnerships and even denominations should look like. 
the pooling together of different representations to do something that no one part could do on their own. You know, I have heard and often felt that this church, Timberline Windsor, should be for everybody. This church should reach everyone. Good thought, bad or even short-sighted implications. This church, Timberline Windsor, is not for everyone. And gasps fill the room. (laughs) The gospel is for everyone. The body of Christ, the collective church, united in Jesus, is for everyone. This church of people gets to be a part of that. (laughs) We're imperfect We're limited. We're a work in progress. There is only a segment of this community and this region that we're going to be able to reach, not the entire population. Well, that's just uninspiring vision there, Pastor. No church is doing this anywhere. To quote Carrie Newhoff, you're not reaching everybody. I'm not reaching everybody. Nobody's reaching everybody. Not only is thinking you're going to reach everybody delusionary, but it's also bad theology. Your church is a church, but it's not the church. The church consists of hundreds of millions of Christians and hundreds of thousands of churches and congregations around the world and within your community. It's going to take more than just your church to reach your city and more than just you to reach your community. To think you can do it all is more than a little bit arrogant and bordering on heretical. I love that you want to reach everybody. I still do, too. But you'll actually reach more people if you get focused. Your church is not the body of Christ. It's part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You are Christ's body and individually members of it. Romans 12, 4 through 5, just as we have many parts and members in one body, we who are many are one body in Christ. Ephesians 4, 4, there is one body, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. That's the Genesis 1 calling, the original purpose, that opportunity, intention, and responsibility that we have to reflect the heart of God. And God didn't leave how we do that vague. He gave us Jesus. Not so that we would just stumble across how we're supposed to live our life. He gave us the exact representation of who he is and what he is like. Earlier I mentioned Hebrews uh, chapter one, verse three. I wanna read the first three verses. It says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, his son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God is like. You want to know how we represent God. This leads us to kind of this last point that I want to close with. This so what section of, of, okay, we've looked at God's nature and we've specifically this weekend looked at the unique ways humanity represents God. So what? 
What do I do with this? What, what does a church that can live this kind of stuff out do? Well, first, look to Jesus, the exact representation of God's nature. The best and only way that you and I are going to be true representatives and imagers of our God is to stay focused on looking at him. Together, in our connections, in our studies, rooted in God's word, look at him, look to him, and you will represent him in a good way, not a false way like the ape shifted. Second, see all people, even those people, (laughs) the way God does. No excuses here. All people, 100%, were created in the image of God. When you refuse to give someone dignity, you are rejecting the value that God gave them. You and I need to see all people with God's eyes. I didn't say this last service mainly because I forgot to, but you get bonus here. Um, Here's the deal. I wonder what would happen if we talk to God more about people than we do talk to people about people. If I talk to God about the people that I have problems with, I wonder if that's going to give me God's heart for them. Whereas when I talk to other people about people, how often do I just get stuck in my rut about who they are? And I slip into not giving them the dignity the way God would see them. What if we talk to God about people as much as we talk to people about people? See all people with God's heart. Even those people. No excuses. Lastly, find your connections. At this particular church, this is your one-stop shop of doing all this. And even as messy and imperfect as we can be, we're family. We have the love of Jesus making us more and more like him and seeing one another the way he sees us. And I promise you, it is truly, truly satisfying to live out our purpose as representing God. Looking to Jesus, seeing others the way he would see them, and getting connected to one another. I promise you, if we are a church body that does those things, we will represent God well. So in our time of conclusion, would you stand with me as we end? And as you're doing that, I want you to recognize something. Right now, you are surrounded by unique sermons. You are surrounded by unique ways that represent God in ways that we would be missing if you weren't here. You're valuable, and you're valuable to the church. You're a valuable part of the church. So, so take some time and linger. Talk to one another after this service. If you haven't joined a connections group, do that. If coming up out of the summer you need to renew yourself in a connections group, do that. Because this last word is not just the end of a message. It's the start of you and I living out our core purpose to love God and love one another. Go be your part of the church. Love you guys. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. 
Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.